Um, we're just about going to have our bar. Oh, we are going to have our bar. And Sarah's going to bring our bar ready to us. It's down on the inside of your two page. A white. to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, 
Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come back, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out, his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. For when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and that is that, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So just before we start our Bible talk, I want you to introduce yourself to the people on your table and ask, um, answer the question, what's a precious thing that you've lost? So answer the question, what's a precious thing that you've lost? I'm going to uh, finish up your intro there. And uh, your stories of things that have been lost. Uh, my name is Rob. I've met you. Uh, great to have you with us today at Bible Talks each week. As you're familiar with what we do here, we read the next part of the Bible that we're up to, which today is Luke chapter 15, that Sarah read for us, part of Luke's biography of Jesus' life. Uh, now, at ECU, we understand and commit to the understanding that the Bible is. Uh, God's word, and so as we come to it, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask us to pray. Well, actually, I'm gonna pray, and if you want to say Amen, which means yes, I agree with that, then please do so. I'm gonna ask God to help me to be able to explain His word to us well today. Well, thank you for this time together today. Pray that as I speak, that you help me to speak Your words clearly, and that You. Help us to listen and be able to respond rightly to your word. Amen. You can see it on your outline there, under on the on the second page. Point one: Who enters God's kingdom? It's a question that these chapters of Luke's biography of Jesus are tackling, or Jesus is tackling. It's not a new thing. Uh, to Luke's biography, way back in chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus outlines his mission, why it is that he's coming. And Jesus' mission, what he's all on about, is spearheading the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Uh, God's kingdom, which brings a renewal 
And it's a little bit like this thing here. There you go. I don't know if you can see what that thing is, but it's like a, a, a tunneling machine. And they're the little workers in front. They're not, they're, they're real big. Uh, <laughs> Jesus' mission is like he's, the, he's at the forefront of the inbreaking of something brand new that God is doing. Uh, what he does completely changes everything, complete, completely changes the way things are, the lay of the land. Wherever he goes, he opens up previously inaccessible areas. He brings good news for people, people who are longing for God to come. He brings good news for people that are longing to come to God. And he breaks open his access. The section that we're in at the moment, in chapter 15, began back in Luke chapter 13, verse 22. I'll read it. He went on his way, Jesus, through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? He's headed towards Jerusalem with this mission, advancing on Jerusalem. There are many who are following him, and the question comes, will those who are saved be few? Well, Jesus answers that, not directly, but as he travels through these chapters, as he teaches about entering God's kingdom. So last week, if you were with us, you saw Jesus dining at the house of a, of a Pharisee, a sort of very upright uh, pillar of the community, sort of the, with a lot of other pillars of the community, sort of people around. And Jesus talks with them, with the guests, about the kingdom of God as a big banquet and entering that banquet. And we saw that those who were first invited in this story about God's great banquet, when those first invitees, when the time came, they turned down the invitation. Jesus' point, entry into God's kingdom is easily missed. The original invitees were in the end refused entry anyway. Entry to God's kingdom is easily assumed. Others were invited, the blind, the lame, the crippled, the poor. They came and still more. The invitations went far out to the highways and edges for people to come in. Entry into God's kingdom is easy for anyone from anywhere. But then entry into God's kingdom will cost you everything, says Jesus. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Make sure that you take up the invitation to be in God's kingdom. So as our chapter begins, following on from that, the scene changes, but the theme stays the same. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
So your Jesus is that yet another party. The scum of society come to Jesus and he feasts with them. Outside the party are those who don't come in, the pillars of the community. They won't come in to eat with Jesus. They, they grumble when they see Jesus eating with sins. Their hearts grumble, perhaps their stomachs grumble too. So he tells them a parable. A parable, verse 3. So he tells them a parable. Why a parable? He needs to be clear on why Jesus speaks in parables. Don't know what a parable is, that's okay. We dare to come. We get to find out what one looks like. But a parable is more than just a small story, a short story. In fact, they're not even always stories. In fact, here they are scenarios, if you like. But why? Well, Jesus explained back in chapter 8, verse 9 and 10, why he speaks in parables. Verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, the one back in chapter 8, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, on the other side, they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Why parables? It's a message for outsiders to keep them outside. But for the insiders, they hear the secrets of God's kingdom. Am I an insider or an outsider? Well, you know you're an insider or an outsider depending on how you respond to what Jesus says. If you're an, out, if you're an insider, you'll want to hear what the message is. The insiders, they don't necessarily understand what Jesus is saying, but they're intrigued. They want to know more, and so they come closer to Jesus. And say, Jesus, what are you talking about? And you give them another parable. Say, come closer, come closer, come closer. For the outsider, they hear what Jesus teaches and they go, well, what an interesting thing to talk about, isn't it? What an interesting uh, What an interesting story. And they walk away and they miss the human. Jesus tells a parable here. He told them this parable. Okay. Verse 4 and point 3. The parable of three lost things. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? I'm going to get you guys to actually read this on your tables and have a look at it. And there's a couple of questions to ask of these first two scenarios. There's one parable beginning with two scenarios. One with lost sheep, one with lost coin. What things are the same between these two scenarios? What things are different? I'll give you a couple of minutes. Okay. Oh, <laughs> 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 
things are the same? <laughs> this is my, this might be a difficult question. You have to. Yeah. They both lost something. They both lost something. Yes. They both find something. They both find something. Yes. They both rejoice. They both rejoice. With their neighbours. With their neighbours. And friends. Yes. They seek diligently. They seek diligently, yes. They go after the thing they've lost. That's right. They're both good and bad person. They're both they're both precious things. Yeah. But yet they're things they have a lot more of as well. So it's not like it's his own thing. Or his own coin. Something that they have more than one of them. Yeah. Many things are different between the two. Sheep and the coins are not the same thing. The sheep and the coins are not the same thing. The coins is a coin thing. Coins don't have legs. Oh, that's what I'm. The coins don't have legs. Which I think is actually maybe not an entirely important point. It's a bit significant. A bit significant. Anything else that's different between the two? There's no one on sheep and only ten coins. Sorry, there's not there's only nine sheep but only ten coins. Or hundred sheep. Hundred sheep and ten coins. The numbers are different. Yep. The one lost sheep of the nine of the hundred total represents one percent, whereas the one coin. <laughs> <laughs> scenarios. Most of the time, the point that's made from them is the extraordinary efforts that people go to find precious things that are lost. And I think that's true. But that's not the point that Jesus is drawing attention to. Notice how he begins each of these scenarios. He says, what man of you, you, Pharisees who are listening and grumbling. What man of you? Or down to uh, verse 8. Or what woman? What man of you, having a hundred sheep even that has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine? Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp? He's saying, this is not extraordinary. This is what anyone would do. Take the woman, for example. Ten coins uh, is about a day's wage. Uh, one coin is about a day's wage. Uh, so let's say she has uh, ten one hundred dollar notes. She earns a hundred bucks a day. Uh, ten 
is a thousand dollars all up. Which maths Brendan, 10%. Jesus speaks to about the women here, or about a woman, so I'll ask you women. Uh, here we go. If one of you lost a $100 note, if you had 10 of them, how would you respond? Sorry? You look for it. Not many of you would say, well, that's a bit of bad luck, isn't it? <laughs> no, you don't. It's normal to go searching. It's normal. And these two scenarios, side by side, are almost identical, aren't they? They reinforce what is normal. A guy with a sheep, with 100 sheep, would do it. A woman with coins would do it. Anyone would do it. The main point is, everyone cheers when lost valuables are found. In the same way, Jesus says, heaven cheers when sinners repent. Now, here's the niggly bit of the parable. The conclusion that Jesus just makes is not quite that clear in the scenario. Everyone agrees? Yes, sheep are valuable. Lose one, you're going to go look for it. Everyone agrees? Coins are valuable. If you lose it, you're going to go and find it. But did you know that repentant sinners are valuable to God? Not everything that is lost is valuable and worth cheering about. That's my point, not the point of Jesus. Not everything that is lost is valuable and worth cheering about. You ever dropped money in the car down the side of the seat, you know, between the console bit? And, you know, you, just, you try to stick your hand out in there to get to it and you can't sort of wreck your fingers and strain your tendons and skin and everything and you feel around. And what do you feel? Empty pockets of <laughs> chips. Crushed chips. <laughs> <laughs> and you pull out a fessy encrusted pen. <laughs> dust bits stuck to the chip oil. That's not the thing you're after. You're after your coin down there. Uh, you've found something, but you don't rejoice. <laughs> you lost it, but you're not rejoicing. The Pharisees grumbled at repentant sins that he found. Now, dead much for a crusty sinner. But if you've got eyes to see, heaven rejoices. And that's what Jesus goes on to explain in the last scenario. Because what Jesus has done here is he's created a, a setup for the Pharisees with his third and last lost king. In fact, it's not a lost king this time, it's a lost person. And it's the youngest son who's lost point four. It doesn't begin, Jesus doesn't begin with what man of you or what woman. But rather, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. Not sheep, not coins, but sons. The younger son, what does he do? 
Verse 12. The younger son, the younger one of the sons, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. The younger son doesn't want to wait till his dad dies. Straight up, does he? Give me my inheritance. And not many days later, he gathers up all he had and takes a journey. In his head, he left a long time ago, hadn't he? He'd been making plans for some time. Far away from home, he loses everything in reckless living. A lifetime of his father's sweat and work and building of wealth is gone in a flash. Happens to fortunes gain quickly. Have many lottery winners that have just lost everything. So it doesn't take long to spend money. Take a long time to gather. There's a famine, and he has nothing, and he has no one. No one cares for him. He gets a job feeding pigs, uh, which may, he might not have got paid for in the end. Says in the end, no one gave him anything. And in the end, it shows how desperate he is that he's looking after pigs. And in fact, for him, the pig food looks good within that desperate state. It's in that moment where he's at his lowest that he decides to turn his head to home. He thinks he'd be better off there. And he puts his tail between his legs and decides he's going to go home. Verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned in heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. And he rose, and he came to his father. And it's a home for him. He doesn't know what he's going to receive at the other end. And what you might receive returning home from such a waste of the family fortune. Well, home comes into view in verse 20. Rose came to his father, and his father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Think, is his father really waiting for it? Is his father really sitting there on the front porch day in, day out, waiting for this scum of a son to come back? It seems he is. It seems he is. In fact, he knows him a long way off in the distance, and he doesn't wait any longer. He runs to meet him. Now, people make comments about this uh, guy running. The father running, it's humiliating for older men to run in 
that time. But I don't think it's all that different now. <laughs> you see an older person running to catch the train because they're late. It's not very dignified, is it? <laughs> Stuff going everywhere. Or maybe you've had this happen to you. Running after your rubbish that you dropped in the wind and just gets going and going and you chase it and chase it and chase it. It's too humiliating. His father doesn't care. He, he has compassion on his son and he embraces him and he kisses him. And his son can't get his little speech out in time. The father knows he is a worn out, repentant sinner. And he cuts him off before he can get it all out. And he says, bring me some clean clothes to this guy. In fact, no, not even clean clothes. Robes. The best robes. And put it on him. Rings, shoes. Light the fire. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have top shelf prime beef roast tomorrow. This calls for a celebration because my son has come here. He said, verse 22, bring quickly the best robe and put him on, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's celebrate. He can celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The parable, you rejoice when something precious is found, like a sheep. That's normal. You rejoice when something precious, like a coin, is found. That's normal. You rejoice when a son who's turned their back on the father, the family, wasted the wealth, not having any honour towards the father, and you celebrate and rejoice. That's abnormal. Normal, normal, abnormal. I can understand that. I can understand that. I cannot understand that. What dignified person would receive back in celebration someone who has done what they've done, who've treated him the way they've treated him? It's abnormal. And... The message is everyone cheers when lost goods are found. Everyone cheers when lost goods are found. But to splurge the best for a sinner, well, that displays God's extravagant, abnormal compassion for repentant sins. Which is why the scenario doesn't end with the younger son, but the older brother. Because his older brother, and if you picked it up, he was at home, or comes home, and he hears what's happening, and how does he react? He's repulsed by his father's compassion. He refuses to join the feast, despite his father's invitation. Do you hear that? The feast again, the celebration again, the invitation to come in again? He refuses to come in. He stays outside. His reason? Well, Father, Truth be known, you're stingy. You've never given me anything. Not even a little goat to celebrate with friends. But look what you've given. Top shelf stuff. 
for this son, this son of yours. Father, truth be known, your judgment is bad. Your judgment is off. This idiot son gets the best of the best after he's wasted the best of your best on prostitutes. The old son's never disobeyed him. Never disobeyed his father. He might be nervous about it, but he's never disobeyed his father. But he's also never known the true heart of his father. He's never known what his father is really like. And Jesus now shines the light on the heart of God. He says to the older son, it was fitting to celebrate. It was fitting. It's not something that's wrong. It's not something, yes, it's abnormal, but it's fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was up there and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, God loves to bring the dead to life. God treasures those repulsive things that are found and redeemed. For those who know they're not right with God, but want to be right with God, they're the treasure at the centre of God's heart. They're the ones that God loves to splurge on. Jesus' mission is not just to find lost things, but for a repulsive thing, just to be redeemed. Repentant sins are on God's top shelf. And Jesus spearheads God's mission to come for them. Question is, where are you? Could be that you're that younger son. Well, you know you're a repulsive sinner. But you might be a repulsive sinner that knows that God has redeemed you. And that's good news. In fact, when you're actually saved by God, brought into his family, you're always still a repulsive sinner who's been redeemed. But being redeemed is uh, on God's top shelf. But maybe it is that you know that you actually haven't honoured God as God. And truth be known, you don't care much at all for God. But know that you need to do this. You know you need to come back like your son and say, I don't deserve to be called yours. But please, please be good. I only get an opportunity to do that today. Maybe if you're not. There. You just come on today hearing uh, about God's mission, Jesus' mission for the first time. Good, keep thinking about it. But if this is you, that you need to actually come back to God. I've got to pray. Dear God, I have failed to honour you rightly in my life. I'm not worthy to be in your family or in your kingdom. Thank you that Jesus brings your forgiveness. Please forgive me and help me to live following Jesus. If you know you need to pray that prayer, I'm going to pray it, and you can, one by one, and you can pray it in the silence of your own heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I have failed to honour you rightly in my life. I am not worthy to be in your family or in your kingdom. Thank you that Jesus brings your forgiveness.
please forgive me and help me to live following Jesus as That is your prayer, then we'd love to know that you prayed it. There's a little box, you've got that little suit there.